All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good afternoon as well. So Rob and Brent are back, so I guess that means I am back as well. <sighs> Summer's almost over, although the temperature has not changed one bit. But it's great having you here today. If you want to get your Bibles out, if you would, please. We've been doing a series around here that we're calling I Will Survive. And what this series is all about is not how to survive the heat of Texas, but it really is about how to, how to survive those bad days that tend to come into our lives. We all have them, right? You know what I'm talking about? These bad days that tend to come, we, we've all experienced them. I was looking at this this past week, and I came across, I thought it was kind of funny, and and the statement started out with like this, you know when you're having a bad day, when, and the first one was this, your horn sticks on Highway 71 behind 32 Hells Angels motorcycle riders. Um, except for Spencer, I think Spencer would be the only one around here that would be okay with that. Here's another one, you know you're having a bad day when you get to work and find a 60-minute news team waiting in your office. That's a bad day. Here's another one, you know... When you're having a bad day, when your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. Come on, Gary, you know what I'm talking about, right? Here's another one. You know you're going to have a bad day when your four-year-old tells you that it's almost impossible to flush a grapefruit down the toilet. Operative word, almost, right? Here's another one. You know you're going to have a bad day when you discover that your 12-year-old's idea of humor is putting crazy glue in your preparation H. Oh, come on. You know that one's funny, right? The picture there is amazing. <laughs> you know you're going to have a bad day when, uh, when nothing you own is actually paid for. That one's kind of, right? And then here's one more. You know you're going to have a bad day when your doctor tells you that you're allergic to chocolate chip cookies. That's a bad one, right? I love that we can laugh at things like this, but um, the reality is that when a bad day happens to us, laughter really is the last thing that tends to come to us, right? And uh, for so many of us, a bad day can merge into a bad week, which can merge into a bad month, which can mer merge into a bad year. And so how do we survive these bad days that tend to come our way? That's what we've been talking about here in the series, in the verse that we've been looking at, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love how the message paraphrases this verse. It says it this way, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. See, Jesus went through the worst day ever when you think about it, right? And so the writer of Hebrews is describing here that it's so important for us to actually study how he did it. How did he survive this worst day ever? And so what we've been looking at are some of his actions and his statements that he made in this worst day ever. And the one we're going to look at here um, this afternoon is in Luke chapter 23, verse 44, which really is his last statement that he makes. And it says this in verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. 
Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Now, I want you to notice something here about this last statement that he makes, because this this is his worst day ever. It's in the midst of where he feels completely abandoned by God, trying to figure out, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? But I want you to notice, in the midst of this, he still decides to put his life into God's hands. And I think this is really important for us, or every one of us, this is an important lesson for every one of us, because when you're going through a bad day, and you will have bad days, Jesus actually says it, that in this world you're going to have trouble. This is not heaven, and so we all experience bad days. Bad things do come our way, but when you're going through a bad day, one of the most important things to remember is to just stay steady. To stay steady through it, to surrender what you're going through to God, and to let it all go. I think one of the reasons why these bad days can tend to be so difficult for us to navigate through is because just like what Jesus experienced, I think we also experience this feeling that God's a million miles away. That we don't really know where he is. It's like he's forgotten about us. That he's not really involved with what's going on in our life. Have you ever experienced that before? I know I have, where you just feel like, God, where are you in all this? What's happening here? How, how am I supposed to deal with all of this? I can't hear you. I don't know what it is that you are, you are doing. But I think this is one of the things that's so important for us to understand, because you'll never feel the presence of God, and you'll never experience his peace until you decide to give it all to him. Did you hear me? You're really never going to experience his presence and feel his peace until you actually decide to give everything that you're going through to him. The problem is, I think for so many of us, is that we like to co-manage our lives with God. Come on now, let's get a little bit real, right? We like to still have control. And so it's just kind of like, okay, God, I have this problem, but I need you to help me with it. And so it's this, it's, this, it's this issue of who's really going to be in control. Because here's the thing. It can't be your problem, God's problem, all at the same time. And so what Jesus does here in this worst moment ever is he actually quotes something from the book of Psalms. Psalms 31, verse 4. It says, free me from the trap that is set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. And so what the psalmist is describing here is actually kind of interesting because he's describing that there's, it's a trap. It's a trap not to give these things to God. It's a trap to hold on to these things that are worrying you and concerning you and, and troubling you. It's a trap to actually worry about these things. Now, how many of you here this afternoon would be honest and say, yeah, I'm one of those who tends to worry about stuff. Any of you here? I think a lot of us fall into that. And I, I found a church sign that I think is going to help you with this. Look at this church sign here. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. I think it's kind of a misplaced emphasis on that, right? Uh, here's, here's another church sign. It has absolutely nothing to do with this message. I just think it's funny. Look, look at this one. Do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. <laughs> I hope that's not true for us here at this church. It's just, it's just kind, of, uh, kind of funny. I think, it's, I think it's good to laugh 
even in the midst of maybe some difficult things that you might be facing personally. But let me kind of um, break this up here for you because the, the New Testament, when it was written, was written in uh, the Greek language. And in that original Greek language, the root word for worry means to have a divided mind. Think about that. Worry means to have a divided mind. In other words, I've got this. Uh, no, God, you've got this. No, I've got this. No, God, you got, I've got this. No, that's what worrying is all about, which is why lordship is such an important issue. Because lordship addresses this issue of who is really going to be in control. Is it going to be you that's in control of your life, or are you actually going to let God be in control of your life? Look at this in Matthew chapter 6. And this whole passage here is in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is really kind of addressing this whole issue. And he starts this in verse 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. And so right off the bat, Jesus said, you're going to have to decide something here. Who's really going to have control over your life? You're going to let me have control of your life, or are you going to be in control of it? No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so the example, the practical example that Jesus is giving here in this passage is that of money. But when you think about it, it really could be anything. And so are you going to take care of you, or are you going to let God take care of it? Are you going to trust God's principles about money? Are you going to trust God's principles about life? Are you going to trust God's principles about relationships, or are you going to trust in yourself? Verse 25, this is, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? In other words, what Jesus is describing here is that what most of us tend to do is that we end up worrying about trivial matters. Now, here's the thing. When you're going through it, it doesn't feel like it's trivial, does it? I mean, it feels like it's big, it's huge. This is life and death. But what Jesus is describing here is this, this reality. Always remember, you're not a human being who's trying to have spiritual experiences. You are a spiritual being, and this is simply a temporary human experience that you are having. And it goes just like that. All of you who are over 50 years old knows the reality of time, right? When we're younger, it's like time takes forever. It's like everything is slowed down. But then all of a sudden, you look back and you think, what in the world just happened? My youngest son leaves my house this week. I am now an empty nester. <laughs> I mean, when you're raising kids and changing diapers, you're thinking that day is never going to happen. And then all of a sudden, you blink and it's over. That's how fast time goes. And what Jesus is describing, he's, he's trying to get us to lift our perspective here. Because this life that we live goes, just, goes by just like this. And so there is an, eterner, an eternity that's still to come. And God will always get you to focus on eternity. Because in the, in the big scheme of things, that's more important than these 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that you have here on this planet. What happens here is really important because that's what really affects eternity. But always remember, God is looking at the big picture things, not just what's happening right here in this moment. Verse 25, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Great question, isn't it? For all of us who tend to worry about stuff, 
Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Verse 28. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Here's the thing about worrying. Worrying is trying to control the uncontrollable. That's the essence of what worrying is. Basically, when we worry, it's basically saying, God, I don't really think you know what you're doing. It's basically saying, God, you're not paying attention to the right things. Hey, pay attention here. This is what's happening, God. Don't you see? Don't you know what's going on? You need to do something about this. That's the essence of what worrying is. And so Jesus ends this passage with this really important statement or question. And he says, why do you have so little faith? Why do you have such little faith? In other words, why don't you trust God and stay steady in the middle of all these things? In the middle of your bad day, why don't you make a decision even ahead of time that you're just going to stay steady and that you're going to trust God with what concerns you? And so for Jesus, his last statement before he dies was all about this. He said, okay, God, I don't really understand what's happening here. God, where are you in all the midst of this? But... Into your hands, I commit my day. Into your hands, I commit my life. Into your hands, I commit my hopes and my dreams and my expectations. God, I'm surrendering it all to you, and I'm letting it go. This is what Jesus did. Now, contrast that to what I think so many of us tend to do. Sure, we may sing the song on a Sunday, I surrender all, but the question is, what do we actually do? Because I think so many times it sounds more like this. I have a video I want you to watch. Watch this.
Come on, it's true, isn't it? I know we may not want to admit it, but I think that's a lot how we live our life. We say something on Sunday, we sing our songs, I surrender all, but then our actions are showing something completely different, especially when we go through our bad days. And so I want to try to help you with this just a little bit, be very practical as much as I can, because I think... Staying steady and trusting God in the middle of your bad days is easy to talk about, but not so easy to do. We here in Texas were seventh in the nation in regard to family-related stress. Seventh in the nation with family stress issues. We're twelfth in the nation in regard to job-related stress. And so this issue of worry, I think for so many of us, is what, it, it, we, it's what really plagues us when we encounter our bad days. And so look at what the Apostle Paul tells us to do in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. Now notice these four words. Don't worry. Instead, pray. Don't worry, instead pray. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor those four words. They need to hear it. Don't worry, instead pray. Maybe turn around and look at the other person beside you. Tell that person they probably need it too or look behind you. Don't worry, instead pray. Now, what is prayer though? <laughs> if we're going to flip this, then what, is, what actually is prayer? Because I think so many of us would get this all mixed up and we try to make it into something that's not. Because prayer isn't waxing eloquent King James Version words. You know what I'm talking about? Lord, we thank thee for thy abundant blessing that thou hast bestowed upon us. And we beseech thee on behalf of these needs that we have. That's not what prayer is. It's not trying to sound good in some sort of theoretical language that's out there. That's not what prayer is. Prayer also is not getting God caught up on all the things that are going on in your life because obviously he doesn't know what's going on with your life. That's not what prayer is. And prayer is not informing God about your realities. That's not what prayer is. The essence of what prayer is is it's just simply saying, here, here. Where you take these things that you're worried about, you're concerned about, that you're fearful about, those things that are heavy on your heart, and you simply go, here. God, I let it go. God, I give it to you. I turn these things over to you. Prayer is the moment you let go. That's simply what prayer is. And then notice what happens when you stop worrying and you actually pray. Verse 7, if you do this, you will experience God's peace 
which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. Listen, I have one goal for us here this afternoon, and that is whatever you're worrying about, whatever is heavy on your heart, whatever those things that are concerning you that you're trying to deal with, my, my one um, goal for us today is that you take it and you actually let it go. They actually give it to, to God. You no longer are holding on to it. That you leave here today without holding on to all these different worries and these weights that you came in here today with. So that then you can experience what the Apostle Paul is describing here to the believers in the city of Philippi. Verse 7, again, if you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. So how do we do this? Practically speaking, how do we address these things? Look on to the next verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus says this. So he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so how do we let go of these worries? How do we put our trust in God? How do we stay steady in the midst of our bad days? Well, Jesus outlines it for us here in these verses. And so number one, he describes, get to know God. Get to know God. And if you already know God, you need to add the word better at the end. Get to know God better. Because the more you know God, the more you're going to trust him. And the more you trust him, the more you'll be able to stay steady in the midst of your worst days that you will ever encounter. Verse 31, Jesus says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Listen, folks, God's got you. <laughs> More than you think, God's got you. You just don't know him well enough to know that he's got you. The message says it this way, verse 32. People who don't know God in the way he works worry over these things. Listen, folks, I don't want you just to attend church. That's not what I want for you. That's not my heart for you. I don't want you just to come and sing songs and, um, and connect with people. And all those things are good. But I, what I really want you to do, I want you to know God. I want you to encounter him for yourself. I want you to get to know the one who already knows ahead of time what it is that you need before you ever know that you need it. I want you to get to know him better, to hear his voice more clearly. So number one, get to know God better. And then number two, put God first in every area of your life. Actually, put him first in every area of your life. Jesus said in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, Jesus is dealing with this issue of focus. Don't just focus on putting your energy on all these things that you're worrying about. Change your focus. Actually, put your energy and your focus on putting God first 
and all these issues that concern you. And a lot of you, you're going to notice something absolutely miraculous when you begin to do this in your life. Because for some of you, worrying has just become automatic for you. It's your go-to when you face difficulty. Some of you, you worry about even not worrying. And so it's just a part of your makeup. That's your go-to in terms of your response here. But I tell you something, when you get yourself out of that and you change your focus off of those things and actually put God as your focus, you're going to begin to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised you. When I was growing up as a kid, maybe those of you who are old enough remember these days, but um, you remember the LP records that we have, you know, that we play on your record player? How many remember the records? Okay, thank you. I don't, I don't, the older I get, the more I want to feel a little bit of connection here. So, but we would have, as a kid, we had a bunch of these that, not, it wasn't just the record, but it came um, in a kind of a, uh, kind of like a type of a book form, that there were, there were pictures that went along to the stories that were on these records. You know what I'm talking about? So like, we, I remember Swiss Family Robinson, we'd have the record and, and the book that would go with it, and, and um, um, uh, what were some of the ones? Um, just a spoonful of sugar, what's that? Mary Poppins. Yeah, yes, all of those were, were in there. But there was one that I remember still to this, this day very distinctively that I can see all the pictures in, in my mind. I don't remember what the name of it was. I don't remember that stuff. But it was about this jester in the king's court. And the whole role of this jester was to make the king happy, to make the king laugh. And so he would juggle and do all these things to cause the king to laugh. That was his purpose. That was his job. That was his role. And he was really, really good at it. But one day he comes home to discover that his beloved canary had been eaten by his cat. Well, it devastated him. And he just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. But then the king called him to come to do his job, to make him happy. Well, that was the last thing that this jester wanted to do, obviously. He's lost his beloved pet. And so it was the last thing he could do. He couldn't even muster up the the energy to be able to do it. But it was his role. It was his job. This is what he was forced to do. And so he willed himself to get his jester outfit on and to start putting his makeup on his face. So he put this white makeup all over his face and put the different colors on his eyes and on his cheek. And when it came to his mouth, his mouth was so frowned by what he was going through that he said, this is not going to work. And so he drew an actual smiley face on his face because he needed to look like he was having fun and smiling even though he didn't feel it. And so he went into the court of the king and did all of his acts and his juggling and all these types of things to make the king laugh, and he was successful. He caused the king to laugh, and it was a great time for all who were in the court. So he comes back home, and he starts wiping off all of his, the makeup that he had put on his face, only to discover that underneath the makeup, there was actually still a smile on his face. That was the story. I've always had those images in my head because you know what it does? It talks about focus. It's an issue of focus because what changed in this jester's life? Nothing actually changed. His canary was still dead, right? He still had to deal with the the loss of of his beloved pet, but what changed was his focus. 
his focus came off of the difficulty that he was going through, and it switched to something that actually was making somebody else's life better. And I think this, this is the essence of what Jesus was talking about here in this passage. It's about focus, changing your focus from what you're worrying about and putting God higher in your focus than anything else here. And so Jesus was describing here, he said, instead of putting your focus on these things that you're worrying about, how about putting your focus on things that are eternal, looking at the bigger picture of things? How about pouring your life into ministering into others, blessing others here? This whole issue of focus. Put God first in every area of your life. And then number three, simply live one day at a time. There's an old song, right? One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all. Nobody knows that one. I'm feeling really old here. Thanks, Marilyn. I appreciate your nod of your head there. But live one day at a time. Because here's the thing. The devil robs so many of us of our todays because we're worrying about our tomorrows. Thanks, Jan. Did you hear what I said, though? The devil robs so many of us of our todays because we're so worried about our tomorrows. And so Jesus said in verse 34, therefore, in other words, the conclusion to all these things he's talking about, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Did you know that you can die before you actually die? Oh, I see it all the time. You get a bad report of something. The doctor says something to you. And it, what happens, your focus gets on that problem, and you end up dying before you actually die. Don't live your life that way, which is why everything God wants to do and is doing in your life is to get you to live today. Why? Because he is. He is. And he's right here in, the, in your presence, right? Whatever you're going through, he's right here. And so he, try, he works with you with your daily bread to get you to live here today, not troubled by your yesterdays, which is all about the importance of forgiveness. You're not carrying this leftover yesterday and the hurt and the pain. You're not carrying that into today, and you're not then worried about tomorrow. So that's why letting go, lordship, releasing, deals with the worries. Forgiveness deals with the yesterdays. He wants to get you right here, right now, right here in, in the present, living one day at a time. Jack Hayford said it this way. He said, to live through a bad day, indeed to conclude it, is to place it into the hands of God and leave it there. Can we do that here this afternoon? Come on, I want you to just close your eyes because I don't want you to think about anybody else. But I want you to think about those things that you're worrying about. Those things that are concerning you. Those things that are weighing you. Those things that you came in here today and your focus is so strong on those things. And I want, you to, I want you to see yourself kind of just putting that in your hands. Maybe it's what's going on with your kids. Maybe it's what's going on in your marriage. Maybe it's what's happening with your parents. Maybe it's what's going on with your finances or your job situations or your whole future. Whatever it is that's you came in here today with the weight of it, the worry of it, the concern of it, the fear of it. Would you just put that in your hands? Because the lie that the devil wants to try to convince you of is that 
it's never going to change. That whatever you're facing, it's just never going to change. It's hopeless. But I'm here to tell you that is a lie. It's a lie that the devil wants to get you stuck in because God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And what he has started in you, he will complete. And his promise to you is that even in the midst of difficult, horrible, worst things ever, that he actually is there with you, and not just with you, but he actually can do things to make it work out for good for you, with an eternal perspective of good. That's his promise. When Jesus died on the cross, he completely shook those original disciples of Jesus to the core. They were totally filled with worry and fear and anxiety and disillusionment and hopelessness to the point that they were hiding out in some house in fear for their lives. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to, to them. And the first words that he spoke to them were this, peace be with you. Peace be with you. In a room that was full of people that were fearful, hopeless, frustrated, discouraged, completely perplexed by what had happened, Jesus appears and he just speaks, peace be with you. Here's the thing to know. Peace is not a feeling Peace is a person. Peace is the Holy Spirit. Because when he said, peace be with you, then the Bible says, he breathed on them and released the Holy Spirit. In the midst of your worst day ever, instead of holding on to those things, instead of you being the Lord the controller of your life. Prayer is the moment that you let go and release it to God so that then he can speak in the middle of your storm and say, peace be with you and breathe the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, into your thoughts, into your emotions, into your body so that you can stay steady, that faith, can rise up inside of you, that you can make these declarations of faith concerning your life, that it is well. In the midst of the worst things that are happening, that it is well with my soul, because I know in whom I have believed, and he is faithful to complete what it is that he started in me. You would just stand to your feet. And again, with your hands just stretched out before you. Whatever it is that's concerning you, whatever worry that's holding you today, 
whatever fear that you're facing, would you just take that in your hands and then simply open up your hands and let it go. God, all over this room, we let go. We let go of our kids. God, we let go of all the things that our kids are going through. God, we let go. God, we let go of our parents and all the things that they're facing. Father, we let go. God, we let go of our financial situations and our job situations. We let go of all these decisions that we're faced with. God, we let go. We let go of all the concerns of our future and what we're supposed to do. Lord, we let it go. We let go of control. And now, Father, I pray that you would step into this room and that you would speak peace into the middle of every storm that's raging inside of these individual people's lives and that you would release your peace, the very presence of God, that you would breathe into our thoughts, that you would breathe into our emotions, that you would breathe into these bodies, and that your peace would overwhelm us. The worship team is just going to lead us in these anthems of declaration here, and I want to just ask you to let these be your own actions of faith, of trust, of putting your hope in God, of declaring your foundation in Him. We have communion set up here in the front. At any moment, you can come and, and take part of that and let that just kind of stir inside of your heart. Say, come on, let's really put our focus on God as the worship team leads us here. You know how Hayden and the worship team were just leading you here. It's so important because so much of the battle is faced before you enter it. It's making decisions before a crisis of where your faith is going to be. If you're not in a crisis right now, if you're not going through a bad day today, this is when you make the decision. This is when your faith is established. I decide, I choose, I surrender, and I'm going to walk this way. And but. The songs that were sung are these anthems of declaration, of choice. When we were worshiping at the earlier part of the service, Hayden asked you to just put your hands out like this, as if God was going to come and give you a hug. And it was interesting, I, as soon as I did this, I had this vision of God, whew, immediately, I mean, like that, responding and just grabbing you like this bear hug. I mean, it was immediate. I think what startled me was this kind of, I wasn't expecting it to be so quick, God. You know, sometimes I think we think that we pray and 
It takes God a million years to respond. But it was immediate. I mean, it was, it was just like that. As soon as, as soon as all across the room, when, when you did this, God was just right there grabbing a hold of you. But I watched as this picture unfolded of, of this, this, where there was this intentional kind of, I'm going to hug, and God responds, and he's hugging you. But then it was like across this room, there were all these individual decisions that were being made as a response to that. And some of you continued that embrace throughout the rest of, of the service. And some of you do what I think a lot of us do when we feel awkward in an awkward hug as our hands kind of go like this. And then all of a sudden, the other person's hugging, but we're not hugging anymore. But what was interesting is God didn't let go of you. He, he didn't let go. He, can, he continued just to pull like this. And he, he spoke something to me at the end that he do, this, is, this is why it's true. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. So you may not be in this hug embrace, but he is. He is. And as long as you'll keep your hands open, that embrace continues. It's when we fill our hands with the worries and the concerns and the focus and the fears that all of a sudden that's a different thing that that becomes like this barrier approach and God's still trying to do this but we're pushing him back that's why this response is so important the moment you let go that's prayer and God responds I mean like that he responds this is why you have a decision. We have a choice. What are you going to put your faith in? What are you going to put your trust in? In you or in God? I know there may be things that you're facing here today that are not trivial or trite at all. You're, some of you are facing life and death situations. Some of you are facing very fearful situations. And... We're having our, our prayer team are going to be up here at the front because I want you to have flesh and blood surround you here to be able to grab a hold of you and stand. Some of you feel like you can't even stand yourself. You're so worn out. Let me tell you, this is why God puts us in community so you can have brothers and sisters come around side of you, grab a hold of you, and actually feel a physical embrace as well as the spiritual embrace that God is doing. And so these men and women, they'll just hang out here. And they're here to pray with you. And I want to encourage you, don't hurry. Like run up here after the end of the service and let somebody pray for you, all right? If you would stand to your feet, let me just speak a blessing over you as we're finishing here. And so, Father, I thank you for all these men and women that are here. And Lord, I thank you that you've been going through just the aisles and throughout this room, and you've been speaking your peace into their situations. You've been breathing on them the very breath and presence of God, that you're breathing into their situations. And as a result, peace is entering their heart to let them feel and experience God for themselves. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for what you're starting and what you're doing. And, and Lord, I pray that this isn't just something that happens today, but tomorrow they step in and they make the decision. They choose to put their faith, their trust in you, to change their focus off of their situations, 
to change their focus off the different things that they'll encounter here this week and to be reminded to keep their focus on you and to let go of the worries of tomorrow. And so, Lord, I just speak and release your peace into each one of these, I pray in Jesus' name. God bless you, everybody. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.